0: This week's episode is dedicated to little Cameron Davis, my brand new, slippery, writhing nephew. That's right, my brother Adam just had a baby boy. Hope you enjoy this week's story, codfish. Drabblecast, episode 300. The Dravelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Episode 300, right in time for Halloween too. So, of course, we had to not only pick an epic story to celebrate the monumental occasion of bringing you 300 episodes chock-full of weird fiction, but we had to make sure it would be an epic story that would send a few chills up your spine, too. I don't want to give anything away, but if you've been a fan of the show since the early days, you'll recognize what it is about this story this week that feels really drabble casty We bring you Child by Octavia Butler. Octavia Butler is, in my opinion, one of the most amazing science fiction writers slash human beings that ever lived. Often referred to as the Grand Dame of science fiction, Butler was born in Pasadena, California on June 22, 1947. During 1969 and 1970, she studied at the Screenwriters Guild Open Door Program and the Clarion Science Fiction Writers' Workshop where she took a class with science fiction master Harlan Ellison, who later became her mentor, and which led to Butler selling her first science fiction story, Crossover, which was published in the 1971 Clarion Anthology. With the publication of her novel, Kindred, in 1979, Butler was able to support herself writing full-time. She won the Hugo Award in 1984 for her short story, Speech Sounds. And in 1985, our story this week, Bloodchild, won a Hugo Award, a Nebula Award, the Locus Award, and an award for Best Novelette from Science Fiction Chronicle. In 1995, she became the first science fiction author to ever win a MacArthur Genius Grant. Throughout much of Butler's career, the news media made a big deal of the fact that she was an African-American woman writing science fiction, traditionally territory for, well let's face it, old frumpy white dudes. But Butler claims that her isolated background equipped her particularly well to portray life in hostile dystopias where the odds of survival can be almost insurmountable. I'm black, I'm solitary, I've always been an outsider, she told the Los Angeles Times in 1988. When I began writing science fiction, heck, when I began reading, I wasn't in any of the stuff I read," Butler said. The only black people you found were occasional characters, or characters who were so feeble-witted that they couldn't manage anything anyway. I wrote myself in, since I'm me, and I'm here, and I'm writing. It should also be noted that Butler had battled through severe dyslexia and social anxiety growing up, which branded her as slow at school and epically awkward. It's also not widely known the challenges Butler faced being a lesbian raised in a tightly religious conservative African-American community. I'm a hermit in the middle of Los Angeles, she told the New York Times in an interview. And as you'll see in this week's story, life in a hostile dystopia is indeed something that often comes up in her work, as is the relationship between the powerful and the powerless, and how it often turns out to be much more complicated than first meets the eye. Joining me in the full cast production of this story are the voices of talented Drabblecast regulars Veronica Giguere, Deliane Fourguet, and Ray Sizemore. We hope you enjoy. So without further ado, we bring you Bloodchild by Octavia Butler. My last night of childhood began with a visit home. Tikitoi's sister had given us two sterile eggs. Tikitoi gave one to my mother, brother, and sisters. She insisted that I eat the other one alone. It didn't matter. There was still enough to leave everyone feeling good. Almost everyone. My mother wouldn't take any. She sat watching everyone drifting and dreaming without her. Most of the time, she watched me. I lay against Tigatoy's long velvet underside, sipping from my egg now and then, wondering why my mother denied herself such a harmless pleasure. Less of her hair would be gray if she indulged now and then. The egg's prolonged life, prolonged vigor. My father, who had never refused one in his life, had lived more than twice as long as he should have, and toward the end of his life, when he should have been slowing down, he'd married my mother and fathered four children but my mother seemed content to age before she had to. I saw her turn away as several of Tigatoy's limbs secured me closer. Tigatoy liked our body heat and took advantage of it whenever she could. When I was little and at home more, my mother used to try to tell me how to behave with Tigatoy, how to be respectful and always obedient because Tigatoy was the Tlick government official in charge of the preserve, and thus the most important of her kind to deal directly with Terrans. It was an honor, my mother said, that such a person had chosen to come into the family. My mother was at her most formal and severe when she was lying. I had no idea why she was lying, or even what she was lying about. It was an honor to have Tigatoy in the family, but it was hardly a novelty. Tigatoy and my mother had been friends all of my mother's life, and Tigatoy was not interested in being honored in the house she considered her second home. "'She simply came in, climbed onto one of her special couches, and called me over to keep her warm. "'It was impossible to be formal with her while lying against her and hearing her complain, as usual, that I was too skinny.
1: "'You're better,'
0: she said this time, probing me with six or seven of her limbs. "'You're gaining weight, finally. Thinness is dangerous.' "'The probing changed subtly, became a series of caresses.
2: "'Oh, he's still too thin.' "'my mother
0: said sharply. "'Tiketoi lifted her head "'and perhaps a meter of her body off the couch "'as though she were sitting up. "'She looked at my mother, "'and my mother, her face lined and old-looking, turned away.
1: Lien I would like you to have what's left of Gan's egg.' "'The eggs are for the children,'
0: my mother said.
1: "'They are for the family. "'Please take it.'
0: "'Unwillingly obedient, my mother took it from me "'and put it in her mouth.' There were only a few drops left in the now shrunken, elastic shell, but she squeezed them out, swallowed, and after a few moments, some of the lines of tension began to smooth from her face. Oh, it's good, she whispered.
2: Sometimes I forget how good
1: it is. You should take more,
0: Ticatoy said.
1: Why are you in such a hurry to be old?
0: My mother said nothing.
1: I like being able to come here. This place is a refuge because of you, yet you won't take care of yourself.
0: Tikitoi was hounded on the outside. Her people wanted more of us made available. Only she and her political faction stood between us and the hordes who did not understand why there was a preserve, why any Terran could not be courted, paid, drafted, in some way made available to them. Or they did understand, but in their desperation they did not care. She parceled us out to the desperate and sold us to the rich and powerful for their political support. Thus, we were necessities, status symbols, and an independent people. She oversaw the joining of families, putting an end to the final remnants of the earlier system of breaking up Terran families to suit impatient Tlick. I had lived outside with her. I had seen the desperate eagerness in the way that some people looked at me. "'It was a little frightening to know only she stood between us "'and that desperation that could so easily swallow us. "'My mother would look at her sometimes and say to me, "'Take care of her.' "'And I would remember that she too had been outside, had seen. "'Now Tugatoy used four of her limbs to push me away from her onto the floor.
1: "'Go on, Gan,' she said. "'Sit down there with your sisters and enjoy not being sober. "'You had most of the egg. "'Lien... Come
0: warn me. My mother hesitated for no reason that I could see. One of the earliest memories is of my mother stretched alongside Tegatoy, talking about things I could not understand, picking me up from the floor and laughing as she sat me on one of Tegatoy's segments. She ate her share of eggs then. I wondered when she'd stopped and why. She lay down now against Tigatoy, and the whole left row of Tigatoy's limbs closed around her, holding her loosely but securely. I had always found it comfortable to lie that way, but except for my older sister, no one else in the family liked it. They said it made them feel caged. Tigatoy meant to cage my mother. Once she had, she moved her tail slightly, then spoke.
1: Not enough egg, Leon. You should have taken it when it was past you. You
0: need it badly now. Tugatoy's tail moved once more, its whip motion so swift I wouldn't have seen it had I been watching for it. Her sting drew only a single drop of blood from my mother's leg. My mother cried out, probably in surprise. Being stung doesn't hurt. Then she sighed, and I could see her body relax. She moved languidly into a more comfortable position within the cage of Tugatoy's limbs. Ah, oh, why did
1: you do that?'
0: she asked, sounding half asleep.
1: "'I could not watch you sitting and suffering any longer.'
0: "'My mother managed to move her shoulders in a small shrug.'
2: "'Tomorrow,' she said.
1: "'Yes, tomorrow you will resume your suffering, if you must. "'But just now, just for now, lie here and warm me and let me ease your way a little.'
0: "'He's
2: still mine, you know,'
0: my mother said suddenly.
2: Nothing can buy him from me.
0: Sober, she would have not permitted herself to refer to such things. Nothing, Tigatoy agreed, humoring her.
2: Did you think I would sell him
1: for eggs? For long life? My son? Not for
0: anything, Tigatoy said, stroking my mother's shoulders, toying with her long, graying hair. I would have liked to touch my mother, share that moment with her. She would have taken my hand if I touched her now. Freed by the egg and the sting, she would smile and perhaps say things long held in. But tomorrow she would remember all this as humiliation. I did not want to be part of a remembered humiliation. Best just to be still and know she loved me under all the duty and pride and pain.
1: Shuan take off her shoes,
0: Tigatoy said.
1: In a little while I'll sting her again and she can sleep.
0: My older sister obeyed, swaying drunkenly as she stood up. When she'd finished, she sat down beside me and took my hand. We'd always been a unit, she and I. My mother put the back of her head against Tukatoy's underside and tried from that impossible angle to look up into the broad, round face.
2: You're going to sting me again?
0: Yes, Leanne.
1: I'll sleep until tomorrow noon. Good, you need it.
0: When did you sleep last? My mother made a wordless sound of annoyance.
2: I should have stepped on you when you were small enough,
0: she muttered. It was an old joke between them. They had grown up together, sort of, though Tikatoy had not, in my mother's lifetime, ever been small enough for any Terran to step on. She was nearly three times my mother's present age, yet would still be young when my mother died of age. But Tikatoy and my mother had met as Tikatoy was coming into a period of rapid development, a kind of adolescence. My mother was an only child, but for a while they developed at the same rate and had no better friends than each other. Tigatoy had even introduced my mother to the man who became my father. My parents, pleased with each other in spite of their different ages, married as Tigatoy was going into her family business—politics. She and my mother saw each other less. But sometime before my older sister was born, my mother promised Tigatoy one of her children. She would have to give one of us to someone, and she preferred Tigatoy to some stranger. Years passed. Tigatoy traveled and increased her influence. The preserve was hers by the time she came back to my mother to collect what she probably saw as her just reward for her hard work. My older sister took an instant liking to her and wanted to be chosen, but my mother was just coming to term with me, and Tigatoy liked the idea of choosing an infant and watching and taking part in all the phases of development. I'm told I was first caged within Tegatoy's many limbs only three minutes after my birth. A few days later, I was given my first taste of egg. I tell Terrans that when they ask whether I was ever afraid of her, and I tell it to Tlick when Tegatoy suggests a young Terran child for them, and they, anxious and ignorant, demand an adolescent. Even my brother, who had somehow grown up to fear and distrust the T'Lik, could probably have gone smoothly into one of their families if he'd been adopted early enough. Sometimes I think for his sake, he should have been. I looked at him, stretched out on the floor across the room, his eyes open, but glazed as he dreamed his egg dream. No matter what he felt toward the Tlick, he always demanded his share of egg.
1: Lien can you stand up?
0: Tikitoi asked suddenly stand, my mother said.
1: I thought I was going to sleep. Later. Something sounds wrong outside.
0: The cage was abruptly gone. What? Up, Lien My mother recognized her tone and got up just in time to avoid being dumped on the floor. Ticketoy whipped her three meters of body off her couch, toward the door, and out at full speed. She had bones, ribs, a small spine, a skull, four sets of limb bones per segment. But when she moved that way, twisting, hurling herself into controlled falls, landing, running, she seemed not only boneless, but aquatic, something swimming through the air as though it were water. I loved watching her move. I left my sister and started to follow her out the door, though I wasn't very steady on my feet. It would have been better to sit and dream, better yet to find a girl and share a waking dream with her. Back when the Tlick saw us as not much more than convenient, big, warm-blooded animals, they would pen several of us together, male and female, and feed us only eggs. That way they could be sure of getting another generation of us, no matter how we tried to hold out. We were lucky that didn't go on long. A few generations of it, and we would have been little more than convenient big animals.
1: Hold the door open, Gan,
0: Tikatoi said,
1: and tell the family to stay back.
0: What is it? I asked. And click. I shrank back against the door. Here? Alone? He was trying to reach a call box, I suppose. She carried the man past me, unconscious, folded like a coat over some of her limbs. He looked young, my brother's age perhaps, and he was thinner than he should have been. What to would have called dangerously thin.
1: "'Gan, go to the call box,'
0: she said. She put the man on the floor and began stripping off his clothing. I did not move. After a moment, she looked up at me, her sudden stillness a sign of deep impatience. Send Key. I told her. I'll stay here. Maybe I can help. She let her limbs begin to move again, lifting the man and pulling his shirt over his head.
1: You don't want to see this,
0: she said. It will be hard.
1: I can't help this man the way his slick could.
0: I know, but send Key. He won't want to be of any help here. I'm at least willing to try. She looked at my brother, older, bigger, stronger, certainly more able to help her here. He was sitting up now, braced against the wall, staring at the man on the floor with undisguised fear and revulsion. Even she could see that he would be useless. Key, go, she said. He didn't argue. He stood up, swayed briefly, then steadied, frightened, sober.
1: This man's name is Bram Lomas,
0: she told him, reading from the man's armband. I fingered
2: my own armband in sympathy.
1: He needs to go to Do you hear?
2: My brother said, I'm going. He edged around Lomas
0: and ran out the door. Lomas began to regain consciousness. He only moaned at first and clutched spasmodically at a pair of Tigatoy's limbs. My younger sister, finally awake from her egg dream, came close to look at him until my mother pulled her back. Tikitoya removed the man's shoes, then his pants, all the while leaving him two of her limbs to grip. Except for the final few, all of her limbs were equally dexterous.
1: I want no argument from you this time, Gan,
0: she said. I straightened. What shall I do?
1: Go out and slaughter an animal that is at least half your size.
0: Slaughter? But I've never... She knocked me across the room. Her tail was an efficient weapon, whether she exposed the sting or not. I got up, feeling stupid for having ignored her warning, and went into the kitchen. Maybe I could kill something with a knife or an axe. My mother raised a few Terran animals for the table and several thousand local ones for their fur. Tegatoi would have probably preferred something local. An Akti, maybe. Some of those were the right size, though they had about three times as many teeth as I did and a real love of using them. My mother, Hua and Ki, could kill them with knives. I had never killed one at all, had never slaughtered any animal. I had spent most of my time with Tigatoy while my brother and sisters were learning the family business. Tigatoy had been right. I should have been the one to go to the call box. At least I could do that. I went to the corner cabinet where my mother kept her large house and garden tools. At the back of the cabinet, there was a pipe that carried off wastewater from the kitchen, except that it didn't anymore. My father had rerouted the wastewater below before I was born. Now the pipe could be turned so half of one side slid around the other, and a rifle could be stored inside. This wasn't our only gun, but it was our most easily accessible one. I would have to use it to shoot one of the biggest of the Acti then Tigatoy would probably confiscate it. Firearms were illegal in the preserve. There had been incidents right after the preserve was established, Terrans shooting T'Lik, shooting tlick. This was before the joining of families began, before everyone had a personal stake in keeping the peace. No one had shot a T'Lik in my lifetime, or my mother's, but the law still stood. For our protection, we were told, there were stories of whole Terran families wiped out in reprisal, back during the assassinations. I went out to the cages and shot the biggest Octie I could find. It was a handsome breeding male, and my mother would not be pleased to see me bring it in. But it was the right size, and I was in a hurry. I put the octi's long, warm body over my shoulder, glad that some of the weight I'd gained was muscle, and took it to the kitchen. There I put the gun back in its hiding place. If Tikitoi noticed the Akhti's wounds and demanded the gun, I would give it to her. Otherwise, let it stay where my father wanted it. I turned to take the Akhti to her, then hesitated. For several seconds I stood in front of the closed door, wondering why I was suddenly afraid." I knew what was going to happen. I hadn't seen it before, but Tukatoy had shown me diagrams and drawings. She'd made sure I knew the truth as soon as I was old enough to understand it. Yet I did not want to go into that room. I wasted a little time choosing a knife from the carved wooden box in which my mother kept them. Tukatoy might want one, I told myself, for the tough, heavily furred hide of the Octi. Gan! T'gitoy called, her voice harsh with urgency. I swallowed. I had not imagined a single moving of the feet could be so difficult. I realized I was trembling, and that shamed me. Shame impelled me through the door. I put the octi down near T'gitoy and saw that Lomas was unconscious again. She, Lomas, and I were alone in the room. My mother and sisters probably sent out so they would not have to watch. I envied them. But my mother came back into the room as Tukatoy seized the Octi. Ignoring the knife I offered her, she extended claws from several of her limbs and slit the Octi from throat to anus. She looked at me, her eyes yellow and intent.
1: Hold this man's shoulders, Gan.
0: I stared at Lomas in panic, realizing that I did not want to touch him, let alone hold him. This would not be like shooting an animal, not as quick, not as merciful, and, I hoped, not as final. But there was nothing I wanted less than to be part of it. My mother came forward.
2: Gan, you hold his right side. She said. I'll hold his left.
0: And if he came to, he would throw her off without realizing he'd done it. She was a tiny woman. She often wondered aloud how she had produced, as she said, such huge children. Never mind, I told her, taking the man's shoulders. I'll do it. She hovered nearby. Don't worry, I said. I won't shame you. You don't have to stay and watch. She looked at me uncertainly, then touched my face in a rare caress. Finally, she went back to her bedroom. Tigatoy lowered her head in relief.
1: Thank you, Gan.
0: She said with courtesy, more Terran than Tlick.
1: That one. She is always finding new ways for me to make her suffer.
0: Lomas began to groan and make choked sounds. I was hoping he would stay unconscious. Tikotoy put her face near his, so he could focus on her.
1: I've stung you as much as I dare for now, she told him. When this is over, I'll sting you to sleep, and you won't hurt any more. Please the man begged. Wait. There's no more time, Bram. I'll sting you as soon as it's over. When Gotif arrives, she'll give you eggs to help you heal. It will be over soon.
0: The man shouted, straining against my hands. Soon, Bram. Ticketoy glanced at me, then placed a claw against his abdomen, slightly to the right of the middle, just below the left rib. There was movement on the right side, tiny, seemingly random pulsations moving his brown flesh, creating a concavity here, a convexity there, over and over until I could see the rhythm of it and knew where the next pulse would be. Lomasa's entire body stiffened under Tikitoy's claw, though she merely rested it against him as she wound the rear section of her body around his legs. He might break my grip, but he would not break hers. He wept helplessly as she used his pants to tie his hands, then pushed his hands above his head so that I could kneel on the cloth between them and pin them in place. She rolled up his shirt and gave it to him to bite down on. and she opened him. His body convulsed with the first cut. He almost tore himself away from me. The sound he made. I had never heard such sounds come from anything human. Ticketoy seemed to pay no attention as she lengthened and deepened the cut, now and then pausing to lick away the blood. His blood vessels contracted, reacting to the chemistry of her saliva, and the bleeding slowed. I felt as though I were helping her torture him, helping her consume him. I knew I would vomit soon, didn't know why I hadn't already. I couldn't possibly last until she was finished. She found the first grub. It was fat and deep red with his blood, both inside and out. It had already eaten out its own egg case, but apparently had not yet begun to eat its host. At this stage, it would eat any flesh except its mother's. Let alone, it would have gone on excreting the poisons that had been sickening and alerting Lomas. Eventually, it would have begun to eat. By the time it ate its way out of Lomas's flesh, Lomas would be dead or dying and unable to take revenge on the thing that was killing him. There was always a grace period between the time the host sickened and the time the grubs began to eat him. Tukitoy picked up the writhing grub carefully and looked at it, somehow ignoring the terrible groans of the man. Abruptly, the man lost consciousness. Good. Tukitoy looked down at him.
1: I wish you Terrans could do that at will.
0: She felt nothing, and the thing she held. It was limbless and boneless at this stage, perhaps 15 centimeters long and too thick, blind and slimy with blood. It was a large worm. Tikatoy put it into the belly of the octi, and it began at once to burrow. It would stay there and eat as long as there was anything to eat. Probing through Lamassa's flesh, she found two more, one of them smaller and more vigorous.
1: A male!
0: she said happily. He would be dead before I would. He would be through his metamorphosis and screwing everything that would hold still before his sisters even had limbs. He was the only one to make a serious effort to bite to Gatoy as she placed him into the Octi. Taylor worms oozed to visibility in Lomas's flesh. I closed my eyes. It was worse than finding something dead, rotting and filled with tiny animal grubs, and it was far worse than any drawing or diagram.
1: Ah, there are more.
0: Ticatoy said, plucking out two long, thick grubs.
1: You may have to kill another animal again. Everything lives inside you Terrans.
0: I had been told all of my life that this was a good and necessary thing the T'Lick and Terran did together, a kind of birth. I had believed it until now. I knew birth was painful and bloody no matter what, but this was something else, something worse, and I wasn't ready to see it. Maybe I never would be, yet I couldn't not see it. Closing my eyes didn't help. Tikitoi found a grub still eating its egg case. The remains of the case were still wired into a blood vessel by their own little tube or hook or whatever. That was the way the grubs were anchored and the way they fed. They took only blood until they were ready to emerge, then they ate their stretched elastic egg cases, and then they ate their hosts. A toy bit away the egg case, licked away the blood. Did she like the taste? Did childhood habits die hard, or not die at all? The whole procedure was wrong. Alien. I wouldn't have thought anything about her could seem more alien.
1: One more, I
0: think. She said.
1: Perhaps two. A good family. In a host animal these days, we would be happy to find one or two alive.
0: She glanced at me.
1: Go outside, Gan, and empty your stomach. Go now while the man is unconscious.
0: I staggered out, barely made it. Beneath a tree just beyond the front door, I vomited until there was nothing left to bring up. Finally, I stood, shaking, tears streaming down my face. I did not know why I was crying, but I could not stop. I went further from the house to avoid being seen. Every time I closed my eyes, I saw red worms crawling over redder human flesh. There was a car coming toward the house. Since Terrans were forbidden motorized vehicles, except for certain farm equipment, I knew this must be Lomas's Tlick, with Key and perhaps a Terran doctor. I wiped my face on my shirt, struggled for control. Dan! Key called as the car stopped. What happened? He crawled out of the low, round, Tlick convenient car door. Another Terran crawled out the other side and went into the house without speaking to me. The doctor. "'With his help and a few eggs, Lomas might make it. To cut gift, te?' Eh? I said. "'The T'lik driver surged out of her car, reared up half her length before me. "'She was paler and smaller than T'gatoy, probably born from the body of an animal. "'The T'lik born from Terran bodies were always larger, as well as more numerous. Six young,' I told her. "'Maybe seven, all alive, at least one male.' Lomas? she said harshly. I liked her for the question and the concern in her voice when she asked it. The last coherent thing he had said was her name. He's alive, I said. She surged away to the house without
2: another word. She's been sick, my brother said, watching her go. When I called, I could hear people telling her she wasn't well enough to go out, even for this. I said nothing. I had extended courtesy to the T'Liq. Now I didn't want to talk to anyone. I
0: hoped he would go in, out of curiosity if nothing else.
2: Finally found out more than you wanted to know, eh? I looked at him. Don't give me one of her looks. You're not her. You're just her property.
0: One of her looks.
2: Had I picked up even an ability to imitate her expressions? What'd you do, puke? He sniffed the air. So now you know what you're in for. I walked away from him. He and I had been close when we were kids. He would let me
0: follow him around when I was home, and sometimes Tigatoy would let me bring him along when she took me into the city. But something had happened when he reached adolescence. I never knew what. He began keeping out of Tigatoy's way. Then he began running away, until he realized there was no away to run. Not in the preserve, certainly not outside. After that, he concentrated on getting his share of every egg that came into the house and on looking out for me in a way that made me all but hate him, a way that clearly said as long as I was all right, he was
2: safe from the click. How was it, really? He demanded, following me. I killed an octi. The young ate it. You didn't run out of the house and puke because they ate an octi. I had never seen a person cut open
0: before. That was true, and enough for him to know. I couldn't talk about the other, not with him. Oh, he said. He glanced at me as though he wanted to say more, but he kept quiet. We walked,
2: not really headed anywhere. Toward the back, toward the cages, toward the fields. Did he say anything? Lomas, I mean. Who else would he mean? He said, to Kotgiff. Key shuddered. If she had done that to me, she'd be the last person I'd call for. You'd call for her. Her sting would ease your pain without killing the grubs in you. You think I'd care if they died? No, of course he wouldn't. Would I? Shit. He drew a deep breath. I've seen what they do. You think this thing with Lomas was bad? It was nothing. I didn't argue. He didn't know what he was talking about. I saw them eat a man. I turned to face him. You're lying. He paused. It was when I was little. I had been to the Hartman house, and I was on my way home. I saw a man and a Tlick, and the man was in Tlick. The ground was hilly. I was able to hide from them and watch. The Tlick wouldn't open the man, because she had nothing to feed the grubs. The man couldn't go any further, and there were no houses around. He was in so much pain, he told her to kill him. He begged her to kill him. Finally, she did. She cut his throat. One swipe of one claw. I saw the grubs eat their way out, then burrow in again, still eating.
0: His words made me see Lomas's flesh again, parasitized, crawling. Why didn't you tell me that? I whispered. He looked startled, as though he'd forgotten I was listening. I don't know. You started to run away not long after that, didn't you?
2: Yeah. Stupid. Running inside the preserve running in a cage. I shook my head, said what I should have said to him a long time ago. She wouldn't take you, Ki. You don't have to worry. She would, if anything happened to you. No, she'd take Xuan Hua. Hua wants it. She wouldn't,
0: if she'd stayed to watch Lamas. They don't take women, he said with contempt. "'They do sometimes,' I glanced at him. "'Actually, they prefer women. "'You should be around them when they talk amongst themselves. "'They say women have more body fat to protect the grubs,
2: "'but they usually take men to leave the women free to bear their own young.' "'To provide the next generation of host animals,' he said, "'switching from contempt to bitterness. "'It's more than that,' I countered. "'Was it?' "'If it were going to happen to me, I'd want to believe it was more, too.' "'It is more.' I felt like a kid. Stupid argument. Did you think so while Tukatoy was picking worms out of that guy's guts? It's not supposed to happen that way. Sure it is. You weren't supposed to see it, that's all. And his click was supposed to do it. She could sting him unconscious, and the operation wouldn't have been as painful. But she'd still open him, pick out the grubs, and if she missed even one, it would poison him and eat him from the inside out. There was actually a time when my mother told me to show respect for Key, because he was my older brother.
0: I walked away, hating him. In his way, he was gloating. He was safe and I wasn't. I could have hit him, but I don't think I would have been able to stand it when he refused to hit back, when he looked at me with contempt and pity. He wouldn't let me get away. Longer-legged, he swung ahead of me and made me feel as though I were
2: following him. I'm sorry, he said. I strode on, sick and furious. Look, it probably won't be that bad with you. toy likes you. She'll be careful. I turned back toward the house, almost running from him. Has she done it to you yet? He asked, keeping up easily. I mean, you're about the right age for implantation. Has she- I hit him. I didn't know I was going to do it, but I think I meant to kill him. If he
0: hadn't been bigger and stronger, I think I would have. He tried to hold me off, but in the end, had to defend himself. He only hit me a couple of times. That was plenty. I don't remember going down, but when I came to, he was gone. It was worth the pain to be rid of him. I got up and walked slowly toward the house. The back was dark. No one was in the kitchen. My mother and sisters were sleeping in their bedrooms or pretending to. Once I was in the kitchen, I could hear voices click and tear in from the next room. I couldn't make out what they were saying, didn't want to make it out. I sat down at my mother's table, waiting for quiet. The table was smooth and worn, heavy and well-crafted. My father had made it for her just before he died. I remembered hanging around underfoot when he built it. He didn't mind. Now I sat, leaning on it, missing him. I could have talked to him, he had done it three times in his long life, three clutches of eggs, three times being opened up and sewed up. How had he done it? How did anyone do it? I got up, took the rifle from its hiding place, and sat down again with it. It needed cleaning, oiling. All I did was load it. She made a lot of little clicking sounds when she walked on bare floor, each limb clicking in succession as it touched down. Waves of little clicks. She came to the table, raised the front half of her body above it, and surged onto it. Sometimes she moved so smoothly she seemed to move like water itself. She coiled herself into a small hill in the middle of the table and looked at me.
1: That was bad,
0: she said softly.
1: You should not have seen it. It need not be that way. I know. T-go-tief. T-go-tief now. She will die of her disease. She will not live to raise her children, but her sister will provide for them, and for Bram Lomas.
0: Sterile sister, one fertile female in every lot, one to keep the family going. That sister owed Lomas more than she could ever repay. He'll live then? Yes. I wonder if he would do it again.
1: No one would ask him to do that again.
0: I looked into the yellow eyes, wondering how much I saw and understood there, and how much I only imagined. No one ever asks us, I said. You never asked me. She moved her head slightly.
1: What's the matter with your face?
0: Nothing. Nothing important. Human eyes probably wouldn't have noticed the swelling in the darkness. The only light was from one of the moons shining through a window across the room.
1: Did you use the rifle to shoot the Acti? Yes. And do you mean to use it to shoot me?
0: I stared at her, outlined in the moonlight, coiled, graceful body. What does Terran blood taste like to you? She said nothing. What are you? I whispered. What are we to you? She lay still, rested her head on her topmost coil.
1: You know me as no other does,
0: she said softly.
1: You must decide.
0: That's what happened to my face. What? Key goaded me into deciding to do something. It didn't turn out very well. I moved the gun slightly, brought the barrel up diagonally under my own chin. At least, it was a decision I made.
1: As this will be.
0: Ask me, Gatoy.
1: For my children's lives?
0: She would say something like that. She knew how to manipulate people, tear and Tlick, but not this time. I don't want to be a host animal, I said. Not even yours. It took her a long time to answer.
1: We use almost no host animals
0: these days, she said.
1: You know that.
0: You use us.
1: We do. We wait long years for you and teach you and join our families to yours.
0: She moved restlessly.
1: You know you aren't animals to us.
0: I stared at her, saying nothing.
1: The animals we once used began killing most of our eggs after implantation long before your ancestors arrived.
0: She said softly.
1: You know these things, Gan. Because your people arrived, we are relearning what it means to be a healthy, thriving people. And your ancestors fleeing from their homeworld, from their own kind, who would have killed or enslaved them. They survived because of us. We saw them as people and gave them the preserve when they still tried to kill us as worms.
0: At the word, worms, I jumped. I couldn't help it, and she couldn't help noticing it. I see, she said quietly.
1: Would you really rather die than bear my young, Gan?
0: I didn't answer.
1: Shall I go to Xuanhua?
0: Yes, Hua wanted it. Let her have it. She hadn't had to watch Lomas. She'd be proud, not terrified. Tikitoi flowed off the table, onto the floor, startling me almost too much.
1: I'll sleep in Hua's room tonight. And sometime tonight or in the morning, I'll tell her.
0: This was going too fast. My sister Hua had had almost as much to do with raising me as my mother. I was still close to her, not like Ki. She could want to Gatoy and still love me. Wait, Gatoi. She moved back, then raised nearly half her length off the floor and turned to face me.
1: These are adult things, Gan. This is my life, my family.
0: But she's... my sister.
1: I have done what you demanded. I have asked you. But... It will be easier for Hua. She has always expected to carry other lives inside her.
0: Human lives. Human, young, who should have someday drank from her breasts, not at her veins. I shook my head. Don't do it to her, Gatoi. I was not key. It seemed I could become him, though, with no effort at all. I could make Xuen my shield. Would it be easier to know that red worms were growing in her flesh instead of mine? Don't do it to Hua, I repeated. She stared at me, utterly still. I looked away, then back at her. Do it to me. I lowered the gun from my throat, and she leaned forward to take it. No, I told her. It's the law. Leave it for the family. One of them might use it to save my life someday. She grasped for the rifle barrel, but I wouldn't let go. I was pulled into a standing position over her. Leave it here, I repeated. If we're not your animals, if these are adult things, accept the risk. There is risk, Gatoy, in dealing with a partner. It was clearly hard for her to let go of the rifle. A shudder went through her, and she made a hissing sound of distress. It occurred to me that she was afraid. She was old enough to have seen what guns could do to people. Now her young and this gun would be together in the same house. She did not know about the other guns. In this dispute... They did not matter.
1: I will implant the first egg tonight,
0: she said as I put the gun away.
1: Do you hear Gan?
0: Why else had I been given a whole egg to eat while the rest of the family was left to share one? Why else had my mother kept looking at me as though I were going away from her, going where she could not follow? Did Tukatoi imagine I hadn't known? I hear. Now. I let her push me out of the kitchen, then walked ahead of her toward my bedroom. The sudden urgency in her voice sounded real. You wouldn't have done it to Hua tonight, I accused.
1: I must do it to someone tonight.
0: I stopped in spite of her urgency and stood in her way. Don't you care who? She flowed around me and into my bedroom. I found her waiting on the couch we shared. There was nothing in Hua's room that she could have used. She would have done it to Hua on the floor. The thought of her doing it to Hua at all disturbed me in a different way now, and I was suddenly angry. Yet, I undressed and lay down beside her. I knew what to do, what to expect. I'd been told all of my life. I felt the familiar sting, narcotic, mildly pleasant. Then the blind probing of her ovipositor. The puncture was painless, easy, so easy going in. She undulated slowly against me, her muscles forcing the egg from her body into mine. I held on to a pair of her limbs until I remembered Lomas holding her that way, then I let go, moved inadvertently, and hurt her. She gave a low cry of pain, and I expected to be caged at once within her limbs, when I wasn't. I held on to her again, feeling oddly ashamed. "I'm sorry," I whispered. She rubbed my shoulders with four of her limbs. Do you care? Do you care that it's me? She did not answer for some time, finally.
1: You were the one making the choices tonight, Gan. I made mine long ago.
0: Would you have gone to Hua?
1: Yes. How could I put my children into the care of one who hates them?
0: It wasn't hate.
1: I know what it was.
0: I was afraid. Silence. I still am. I could admit it to her here, now.
1: But you came to me, to say froid.
0: Yes. I leaned my forehead against her. She was cool velvet, deceptively soft. And to keep you for myself, I said. It was so. I didn't understand it, but it was so. She made a soft hum of contentment.
1: I couldn't believe I had made such a mistake with you. I chose you. I believed you had grown to choose me.
0: I had, but... Lomas. Yes.
1: I had never known a Terran to see a birth and take it well. Key has seen one, hasn't he? Yes. Terrans should be protected from seeing.
0: I didn't like the sound of that, and I doubted that it was possible. Not protected, I said. Shown. Shown when we're young kids, and shown more than once. Gatoy, no Terran ever sees a birth that goes right. All we see is N'Klik, pain and terror, and maybe death. She looked down at me.
1: It is a private thing. It has always been a private thing.
0: Her tone kept me from insisting. That, and the knowledge that if she changed her mind, I might be the first public example. But I had planted the thought in her mind. Chances were it would grow, and eventually she would experiment.
1: You won't see it again, she said. I don't want you thinking any more about shooting me.
0: The small amount of fluid that came into me with her egg relaxed me as completely as a sterile egg would have, so that I could remember the rifle in my hands and my feelings of fear and revulsion, anger and despair. I could remember the feelings without reviving them, I could talk about them. I wouldn't have shot you, I said. Not you. She had been taken from my father's flesh when he was my age.
1: You could have,
0: she insisted. Not you. She stood between us and her own people, protecting, intervening.
1: Would you have destroyed yourself?
0: I moved carefully, uncomfortably. I could have done that. I nearly did. That's keys away. I wonder if he knows. What? I did not answer.
1: "You will live now.
0: Yes. take care of her," my mother used to say. Yes.
1: I'm healthy and young," she said. "I won't leave you as Lomas was left. Alone click. Okay. I will take care of you.
0: Afterward by Octavia Butler. It amazes me that some people have seen Bloodchild as a story of slavery. It isn't. It's a number of other things, though. On one level, it's a love story between two very different beings. On another, it's a coming-of-age story in which a boy must absorb disturbing information and use it to make a decision that will affect the rest of his life. On a third level, Bloodchild is my pregnant man story. I've always wanted to explore what it might be like for a man to be put into that most unlikely of all positions. Could I write a story in which a man chose to become pregnant, not through some sort of misplaced competitiveness to prove that a man could do anything a woman could, not because he was forced to, not even out of curiosity? I wanted to see if I could write a dramatic story of a man becoming pregnant as an act of love, choosing pregnancy in spite of, as well as because of, surrounding difficulties. Also, Bloodchild was my effort to ease an old fear of mine. I was going to travel to the Peruvian Amazon to do research for my Xenogenesis books, Dawn, Adulthood Rites, and Imigo, and I worried about my possible reaction to some of the insect life of the area. In particular, I worried about the botfly, an insect with, what seemed to me then, absolute horror movie habits. There was no shortage of botflies in the part of Peru that I intended to visit. The botfly lays its eggs in wounds left by the bites of other insects. I found the idea of a maggot living and growing under my skin, eating my flesh as it grew, to be so intolerable, so terrifying, that I didn't know how I could stand it if it happened to me. To make matters worse, all that I heard and read advised botfly victims not to try to get rid of their maggot passengers until they got back home to the United States and were able to go to a doctor, or until the fly finished the larval part of its growth cycle and crawled out of its host to fly away. The problem was, to do what seemed to be the normal thing, to squeeze out the maggot and throw it away, was to invite infection. The maggot becomes literally attached to its host and leaves part of itself behind, broken off if it's squeezed or cut out. Of course, the part left behind dies and rots, causing the infection. Lovely. When I have to deal with something that disturbs me as much as the botfly did, I write about it. Whether I write journal pages, an essay, a short story, or weave my problems into a novel, I find the writing helps me get through the troubles and get on with my life. Writing Bloodchild didn't make me like botflies, but for a while, it made them seem more interesting than horrifying. Yes, Octavia, making botflies three meters long and sentient does make the regular old earth variety just a bit less horrifying by comparison. I like how in this story you've got parasitism and commensalism happening at the same time, on different and complex levels. You've got ovipositors going into skin, larvae gestating inside human hosts, but you've also got love and partnership patched into that complex quilt as well. You've got human beings paying the rent on an inhabited, different world, but on a preserve, not a reserve, mind you, a preserve. Branding says everything. But you've also got accommodations being made on both sides because everyone has a stake in keeping the peace. Relationships between communities are complex, larval implantation aside. Hope you enjoyed this week's story. If you did, help us celebrate episode 300 and push off for another 100 more to come by making a donation to the TravelCast. You can make a one-time donation in any amount, or subscribe for an automatic $5 a month or $10 a month. Doing the latter, or making a one-time donation of $120 or more, gives you access to TravelCast B-Sides, our premium content feed with all sorts of cool extra stuff each month. Get more spookiness this Halloween season, for example, by listening to a new tale that's really grim by Margaret freakin' Atwood this week on Tribalcast B-Sides. We've got all sorts of other cool exclusive stuff coming down the pipes at you in the months ahead there. Exclusive artwork, a web comic, a Drabblecast text-based online adventure video game, author interviews, extra stories, the list goes on. And you're helping support the Drabblecast do what we do, which is bring you the best of weird fiction produced awesomely in audio, free for your ears each week. Hit up Drabblecast.org, click the support options off to the right. we greatly appreciate it. All right. Moving on to our 100-character story winner this week by DrupalCast forum member, Farseeker. Here goes. Waking with her arm draped across him, he smiled, recalling the night. Gently lifting it, he wondered where the rest was. Appropriately Halloweeny, i I'd say. Think you can write a good story with only 100 characters, not counting spaces? Give it a shot. Post it in our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org in the TwitFix section. We've even got a handy 100-character sizing tool there for you to use. You might be next week's winner. Follow the Drabblecast on Twitter, at the Drabblecast. Alright folks, that's episode 300. Remember, the Drabblecast is brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution on commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or blog about us. Spread the weird. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist this week, Soren James. Soren's a writer and visual artist living in London. He produces organically-based art using various materials and processes to create images from naturally-emergent patterns. His work includes painting, photography, and video, and you can see them at his website, which is linked in our show notes. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nikki Drayden, who dressed up as a zombie half-eaten Octi for Halloween, submissions editor Nathan Lee, who dressed up as a sexy Chilean minor, and our art director Bo Kyer, who just wore a dress. Additional help from Tom, you kids get a job and buy your own goddamn candy baker. David, what? (laughs) No, I'm using these razor blades to shave this candy. Honest officer, Stefan. And David, if you don't eat your candy corn in three separate bites starting from the big yellow end to the small white end, you're a communist carvin. Until next week, weirdos, this is Norm Sherman reminding you that your cat is staring at the wall because she sees a a ghost. Either that or she's mulling over past social situations she could have handled better. Happy Halloween.